Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. It's Tuesday on a really bright, sunny day in Buffalo, New York, and I'm Stephen Brandt. Alongside of me is, as always, the man from Fox Sports and, well, everything, Keith Kokinda. Welcome, man. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Steve. Thanks a lot, Stephen. Uh, last night got a chance to watch the newest uh, 30 for 30 uh, soccer stories films on ESPN, uh, the one about... Uh, uh, and I blanked as that Barbosa, the Brazilian goalkeeper, gave up the goal that cost Brazil the World Cup in 1950. Also, the uh, mystery of the Jules Rimet Trophy. The first, the, 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 that was the first one. And I found a couple of interesting sidelights to it. I was talking about this last night with you. I didn't get you to finish. But the original Jules Rimet Trophy, uh, the French sculptor designed it. I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but I guess he was very prominent back in the early part of the 20th century. The woman on the trophy, if you've ever seen it, is the Greek goddess of victory. What's that? Very nice. Well, I found that so ironic because do you know what her name is? No. I'll give you a hint. It was the same it was the same Greek goddess of victory that inspired a gentleman in Oregon who was developing running shoes with a sword Oregon. pressed Oregon. by a waffle iron. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's right. The Greek goddess of victory name is Nike. Of course, because everything good comes okay. out of Nike, but who, as we all know. But, but, who, but who is FIFA's primary sponsor and has been forever? FIFA's as backwards as UCLA and USC. And speaking of that, yeah. from the OC but is Matt Hoff. Here, here is the, the Greek goddess of victory, Nike, was the, the model for the original World Cup trophy, but Adidas is their primary sponsor. I, I just found that very funny. And um, um, the other thing that came up in that was uh, Edward Norton, the actor, narrated it. And somebody really needed to educate him a little bit on pronunciation uh, he said that the country that hosted and won the first World Cup was Uruguay, and yeah. their capital city was Montevideo. This actually was in the film. Nobody at any time caught these and say, hey, Ed, uh, these are wrong. <laughs> Nobody got that. And I, just, I just found that rather easy. But the thing that, that the only thing that bugged me about these is they, they, these half hours they give, it's just not long enough. It really is that they need to devote an hour to all these. The only exception, of course, has been Hillsborough, which needed the, the two hours it got. But these other ones, they're so short, they really don't get to go as much in depth as they need to. 
with some of these. I mean, in particular, yeah. um, the, the one about Barbosa last night it would have been, I would like to hear more from people who uh, had played with him uh, 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 and others. Oh, the same thing with the, with the the one about Maradona with the hand of God goal against England. Uh, uh, so I mean, it's good to see ESPN. Which is always good to see him over England. Yeah, right. <laughs> we won't get into that one, but I want to welcome on the no. third member of the show today. I'm welcome on the third member of the show because I can hear his his walk up music in the background, and I actually want to thank him for that because he just got a text on it. Um, <laughs> he's mad. He's, he's Matt Hoffman of, and I, I announced this on Twitter before, and I've, I've talked about this when we relaunched this show. Um, there is going to be a second show coming on to the Yellow Card, Yellow Carded Podcast Network, and it's so far right now, it, he's, he's going to be the host, the brain, brainchild, and the music man behind it. He is Matt Hoffman of The Substitutes. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Am I, am I, am I muted? <laughs> no, I can hear you. <laughs> okay, because I'm looking at the dashboard here, kind of as a tutorial, and I see a big like red mic next to me, and I'm like, oh, should I be talking or should this yeah, be a good time be doing the laundry? Means you're, ah, red, red means hot, the hot mic. That's, oh, that's the red means go. Yes, yeah, it's, red means no, red hot. hot. This, 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 Maybe it, red means stop. Yeah, yeah, well, no, no, see, in broadcasting, when the microphone is on, it says it to be hot. Therefore, it's red. <laughs> I'm sure there that you was go. A <laughs> that's what means. You you see Keith right now. That's what me. That's what hold means, Matt. Oh, hey, cool. <laughs> this could be fun. Because Keith, well, uh, Matt, ha- Matt has the board light loaded up on his computer right now to yeah. give him kind of on how to do this. Because I, I did. Until today, I didn't know we could have two people in at the same time. So I didn't Matt, either. Yeah. So Matt, Matt's making this much easier. So next next week when we all do this, Keith, if you can log in. Yeah. <laughs> log in because if more people that can see the board, the better. Um. Yeah, believe. believe yeah, that's me, definitely Dad, need more cooks in the kitchen. This- yeah, yeah. Believe me, Matt. If I could figure this thing out, you can too. Don't worry about that. <laughs> and Matt, this is spoken, this is spoken this is spoken by Keith Kokinda, who has done more in media than I have done, and I'm the host of the show, which kind of scares the hell out of me. But that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. We got about 20 minutes till I till I need to take off here, so maybe we should get to the stuff we wanted to talk about because. Uh, um, I don't know, uh, uh, TJ and Ryan are supposed to be joining us, but let's just go ahead and start without them. You guys down with that? Yeah, yeah that sounds good to me. Okay. Oh. Well, I think, you know, the first thing we want to talk about was the, uh, the end of the EPL season. And um, um, Norwich coming into the game just needed uh, 17 goals. It needed to beat Arsenal and score 17 goals in order to avoid relegation. <laughs> it didn't happen. Didn't happen. Um, but... Um, but uh, well, let's just talk about the. Where do we want to start at? Do we want to talk about the? Um, oops, I'm now getting. A, there is a problem thing. Hmm. Anyone else there? I can't hear anyone. Yeah, I'm still if you can hear me, here. I can't I'm hear you. I'm still here. Yeah, I'm still okay. here. Yeah. I guess we lost Steven. So uh, okay. you know, we had Arsenal again, uh, doomed to be fourth place. Which is interesting yeah. is that they spent uh, 128 days in first place in the English Premiership League. 
That's three and a half years in dog seasons. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, and yet they, they had... came to their temp- their adequate uh, as always finishing fourth. Whereas Manchester yeah. City, they spent uh, two of uh, two weeks in the uh, uh, the equivalent of four, two weeks, fourteen days. Um, yeah, and um, so uh, do we have any thoughts about that? Well, it, it just it just shows you how the long how the long season can affect. Let's face it, it's what matters is what happens at the end of the season. It's it's, it's like in, in in racing, you know, if you only leave one lap, it's okay as long as it's the last one. Uh, same thing applies here. Sure, you know, Manchester City uh, didn't get there till the end. But uh, it shows you the, the long season makes a difference, and I think it speaks to what some of the complaints about Arsenal are in terms of spending money on players. You, you have to have that squad depth because you, you, you're not going to go through a season injury-free, especially if you're playing in Europe. And you know, while Arsenal had the great start, it's definitely better to play with the lead, be up in front with the lead, as opposed to trying to play catch-up at the end of the season. Uh, you just, you, you know, it's not, the, you know, the good days aren't always going to last. You can't expect to go wire to wire when you've got to play 38 games plus Euro plus all your cup ties. It's just not possible. So I think this, this needs to be an off-season where Arsenal needs to say, look, if we want to win the Premier League and, and seriously contend uh, in Europe, we've got to spend some money and make your squad deeper because you need, you need that now. Uh, I mean, I don't know how many matches they play. I remember when Manchester United won the treble, I believe they played 72 matches in the three competitions, the Premier League, the FA Cup, and, and the Champions League. And you, you have to have a deeper squad to do that. I think you know, Arsenal, uh, the criticism of them not spending the money, I think, are valid when you look at that those particular figures that you bring up. Very good. Steven, you're back? Yeah, your awesomeness kicked me completely off of Skype, which is kind of weird. So, anyway, I, forgot, I didn't quite hear what you were... I know you guys were talking about Man United and Arsenal, two teams that turned my stomach for some strange reason. Um, yeah, it's a There's Manchester City well, and Arsenal we're talking about. Well, you, you know, I, I like this. I like this, and I was wasn't really pleasant on Sunday. And I, I want to give, I want to give NBC a lot of credit for what they did on Sunday. Being able to watch every game shit on on TV should be a norm. And I know England doesn't even have that, which is kind of shocking. I, I'm happy as a Liverpool fan where we where they where they happened to be at the end of the year. Anytime you can exceed the expectations, was all Brendan wanted for this year was to get back into Europe. They finished second. Good enough. Chelsea finished. So third. you're you're okay I, with that, even though they had the title within their grasp. Yeah, because because that's the. There's a difference between Brendan Rodgers taking over this team and, and and Jose Mourinho taking over this team. Brendan Rodgers has never on his own had a title race. And the fact that he ran it that close 
being that young, that inexperienced, shows a couple things. One, that he he is of the pedigree to be good enough to be like Josie, to be like to be like Sir Alex. Because people forget that Sir Alex took so long to win the title. The fact that it took them with with that thin of a squad. Keep in mind that Liverpool doesn't Liverpool doesn't have three strikers on their books on the top team. They only have two. So if one of the two gets injured, they're kind of cooked. Now, now that it's off season, Barini's back, and they need to take they need to make massive improvements in the squad to get get them in Europe and be better. I'm quite happy. The team I'm surprised about, and and I know, I know Keith is going to probably fall down when I say this, is Man United. I didn't expect them to fall off that hard. I kind of expected at the beginning of the year Man City would win it. They have the talent. I didn't expect Yaya Atare to go crazy like he is, he did. And I kind of, I kind of expected Chelsea to be up there because as much as I despise everything that the overrated one does, you've got to give him credit for what he's done in his career. And except for except for this year, you know, Jose this year. I think went too far with the mind games, and I think it started to have some effect on his players. Now, it's just announced today, John Terry's extended his deal for another year with Chelsea, which is going to help. But I think uh, Jose did not do that club any favors this season. You know, for all I disagree. Players, he got a great season on John Terry. He had a good defense. He got the team near to the top of the table, which they haven't done for yeah, a while. They, he also came in and um, – you know, he, he made some big changes. He got rid of Juan Mata, which is a big deal. That, that takes a lot of cojones to do that. And oh, sure. um, he, got this, he brought the team to within a gasp of, the champ, of winning the title, which yeah, really is what you can ask for. A manager of his experience. The and and I want to also point out there were zero eye gougings this year. Zero. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, that didn't happen. But, but the point is, with, with Brendan Rodgers, you know, Stephen pointed out the experience difference. You know, the, the, little, the, the stumble at the end for Liverpool, okay, for Brendan Rodgers, first time there, it's, it, it, can be, it can be, I don't want to say forgiven, but you can see why. The points that Chelsea lost the last four weeks of the season were inexcusable. They won at Liverpool. Yeah, but I'm talking about against those bottom teams. You know, you're losing to some of the bottom teams, and in the, in the case of the game against uh, Swansea City, having to scrape together a stoppage time goal after playing for over an hour up a man, I know that's no, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, clearly, what Chelsea needs to do is they need to get a striker and maybe a deep lying playmaker. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, Torres, without a doubt. Torres has proven not, not to be not be the answer they thought he was going right. to be. I think that's that's. Uh, yeah, uh, there's uh, there's definitely some problems. There. I mean, they they have I a great see. defense. Uh, they need to bolster that because they're they're they need to get some younger kids in there. Because I don't know how much longer we can get any sort of resurgence out of John Terry. But uh, you know, the fact that they were in the conversation, goal I think goalkeeping is going to be an issue too. Because we right. saw Not really. they, they brought in Mark Schwarzer for the last few weeks of the season, and he's very capable, don't get me wrong, but he wasn't as good as Czech at his peak. However, the other thing is, Czech's not at his peak. 
I, a couple of guys I heard in recent weeks watching Chelsea, a couple of the commentators say that they thought that Sheck really hasn't been completely the same since that skull fracture incident. And they may, yeah, now he may be showing it being right. So that's going to be a big... You can't forget one thing with Chelsea. Thiago Cartouille is theirs. The, the Athletic Madrid that's true. goalkeeper that's true. Is, is theirs. So when the season comes up, they're, they're going to have him. And that, that's what's it, scary. You, but keep in mind, when you change the goalkeeper, you, it changes things as far as the relationship to the back four. You, you've got your different kind of communication. Uh, you've got to get used to what he wants you to do. Uh, you know, what Czech wants you to do. He tells his guys to do might not be the same as what Schwarzer does or what Courtois tells him to. So there's going to be an adjustment period there. Whoever, if assuming that Czech is no longer the first choice, but I just think Jose played too many mind games at the end. When you're a player and you're fighting for the championship and you hear your manager say we're not going to win it, it takes a pretty strong-willed guy to put that out of his head and say he's full of garbage. So I just, I just Jose at the end, played too many mind games, I think. Uh, and, and I think it showed in how they slipped up in the last three or four weeks of the season when they were playing against those bottom teams. Matt, you, you, you got to give a point. you got to give a point to that, to be honest with you. I mean, you, you don't lose as much of a resurgence as Sunderland had. You do not go into Stanford Bridge and beat, beat Chelsea. I mean, with that back line, you, you do not. You you shouldn't be able to beat Chelsea, and I I think. Well, I, I mean, what I've thought with Chelsea for the year is that I I, I think Josie kind of wrote wrote this year off is that he doesn't have his team there, so there's going to be right. there's going to be a, a lot of people going, and I oh yeah here's surpri- there here's surprisingly Matt what I see happening is. Costa's going to come come to Chelsea. I have a sneaky suspicion that Torres goes the other way, and Courtois goes the other way. Yeah, I I think you're right, Stephen. I don't see I don't see Torres staying. I really don't. He's been he's been there what is it four years now that he's been there. Under a couple four. different managers, and he hasn't come good it, like he did at Liverpool. I just, I, I, if, because you said the, with Chelsea solid defense, there's no way they should be losing one real game anywhere, either at Stanford Bridge or wherever. It shows that they need somebody to score some goals, and Torres was supposed to be the man to do that, and he hasn't been consistently. I mean, every, you know, anybody can sit there, look at that. You'll go up on YouTube and find that ridiculous howler that he missed against Manchester United. There is no reason a top-class player like Torres should miss chance like that or not be scoring 15 to 20 goals a season in the Premier League. Yeah, exactly. Matt, are you still there? Yeah, yep. I got I to gotta go okay. pretty soon. But, uh, okay. Uh, I, I would just say that, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, actually I think that uh, – Chelsea's woes were actually kind of symptomatic of of the just the po- poison chalice that was the EPL title to this year. You know, as we said, uh, Arsenal had you know spent the most days in first place, um, and um, you know at the end, just no one could really hold on to it. In fact, it's with uh, uh, with Manchester City, who spent 14 days 
uh, in the lead. And as we said uh, before, that's, it just seemed it was kind of a hot potato, whoever wanted it. So, yeah, Chelsea had their problems. Yeah, I mean, they could beat the Liverpool and Anfield, but they couldn't beat Sunderland at home. Um, definitely some problems, some inconsistency. And, yeah, I think, I think it's fair to say Mourinho kind of wrote the year off. I think he kind of came in there not, not expecting much, just kind of a, um, you know, just, you know, whatever I do is cherry on the top, you know, kind of. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't really have anything intelligent to say about that, to be honest with you, other than I am disappointed <laughs> well, that Norris yeah. didn't score the 17 goals and beat Arsenal to stay and promote it. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand where, where you're coming from on that point, the fact that, you know, Jose comes in, he's got, you know, there's a lot of new players that he hadn't seen before, and he wa- and you know, and he wants to look at it as a year, maybe I don't necessarily need to contend for the title, but I need to see what kind of squad I have and what can I do to improve it. But, as I said, to, to go in the last few weeks and start saying, oh, we're out of it, it's over with, and stuff like that, that can't be good for the players' morale. It really can't. And uh, I, if you went to think that way privately, that's one thing. But to say it publicly like that is another thing altogether. Well, Matt has dropped off. For, Matt has dropped yeah. off. As I, as I was saying at the beginning of the show, before before everything went kind of awry, um, later this month, maybe next month, the the new show, The Substitutes, is going to come on. And what, what it is, is it's Matt Hoffman, of Soccer League, T.J. Gletchen, our expert on our expert on the lower divisions of the USA, and Ryan Seelock. You'll hear Ryan in his normal slot. He's had to miss last week, but this week he's going to come on and kind of cry and moan about how Newcastle is dead. But starting sometime, it's probably going to be a monthly show, and probably going to be a monthly show with uh, Matt so far as the as the host of the of it and we, we will we will promote it pretty much regularly there is actually a um there's actually a Twitter and Facebook account coming up for the for the new show and also coming up in May because I, I'm I'm unfortunate but fortunate to be off of work during uh during World Cup so so you will hear a little maybe half hour extras, half hour to hour extras around the World Cup. Some some days it's going to be Keith and I. Some days it's going to be me and Kim Tate. Hopefully it's Kim. I, I don't know if Kim's going down to Mexico, nah, not Mexico, um, Brazil. And sometimes it will be. Yeah, little fire. I know she's co- I know she's covering Latin America for the Guardian. So hopefully, hopefully one of these, hopefully one of these next couple of weeks we'll get her on about it. But we're gonna, you know, this is a fun summer. But this is a fun summer now that the EPL is done and most of Europe's gonna be done within the week. So you know, this is kind of a fun summer if you think about it. The World Cup is up. It's gonna be hotter than sin in the United States, and we've got the MLS started. So I mean, I, I'm exci- I'm excited for the summer. That I mean, we get to see hopefully the USA. Going to the quarterfinals because you know, you know, I'm an unabashed, I'm I'm, unab- I'm an unabashed fan of the sport. Now, you and you in ten minutes have have a guest coming on, and I completely forgot her last name and where she's from. Yeah, Danielle Grody. She writes for the Women's Soccer Network, WSN247.com. Uh, we'll have her on um, to talk, uh, you know, more about the women's game and. Uh, a couple of instances that happened uh, here in the last week or so. One on the good side, one on the bad side. Uh, we'll get into that more with her. 
when she comes on. So uh, uh, we'll be having her roughly about seven minutes or so. Um, well, of course, you talk about the World Cup. Of course, the 30-man uh, preliminary roster for the United States team has been announced. And not a whole lot in the way of surprises. Uh, I think it's just one you could count as a surprise would be the fact that uh, that uh, Eddie Johnson uh, was uh, D.C. United was left off. Um, and, and I say it's a bit of a surprise because of how well he played during the qualifying. Um, and also, uh, you know, some of the names that came up and that were brought up for the uh, defense, for the back line, it, it, all these players they brought up, including Michael Parkhurst of Columbus Crew, uh, as well as Brad Evans, uh, Timothy Chandler, Jeff Cameron, uh, Clarence Goodson, I have to wonder, and somebody else, somebody else brought this up too, but you have to wonder, does Clinton think that Omar Gonzalez is going to be 100% time for the World Cup? I think there's a doubt there as far as that's concerned. The other one that I found rather interesting is that half of his 30-man roster play in MLS, and that's up a lot from just four years ago. Uh, you know, Some of these guys, of course, have come back, but, uh, but I think it speaks well uh, for MLS that that many players are going to be in. Of course, some of these guys are going to be dropped, obviously, because you get 23. But uh, well, we know the goalkeepers are going to be Tim Howard, Brad Guzan, and Nick Romando. Uh, yes, uh, Melinda, you should be very happy about that up there, as well as uh, the fact that Kyle Beckham is going to play. Um, and I, I, for those who may have uh, seen it, the uh, 60 Minutes on Showtime did a little profile piece on the national team preparation at Jurgen Klinsmann. And they hinted about how Landon Donovan is not a surefire 100% cinch to be on the plane. And I think there might I'd be... Still, I'd still take him anyway. I would still take yeah, him they, in they any might, way. Yeah, they, well, there might be some legitimacy to that. I think the fact that you've got, uh, you've got a lot of new players uh, who haven't played, didn't play in 2010. Uh, you look at the, at the forwards. Only Josie Altidore played in 2010. Uh, yeah, they picked Chris Wondolowski, and I'm glad they did. He definitely should go uh, because of what you, you saw what he did in the qualifying as well. You, you Sometimes you're going to need a goal in the last 15, 20 minutes, and Wando gives you that. And I'm not saying he should be completely a substitute, but you, you look at the midfielders, you're going to have new guys. You know, Beckerman is, Beckerman's going. There's no question about that. He, played, yeah. he was so solid during qualifying. Michael Bradley played in 2010. He's going. We have Brad Davis, another new one. Uh, Graham Zussi, another new one. But again, he's gone. There, I, I think yeah, Zussi, he's already, he's already on the and provide, Yeah, providing the service he did. You know, uh, uh, Mikel Biscuit would be interesting to see whether or not he goes or not. Uh, I would take Mix. Course, I would take Mix and drop Brad Davis. The other one I would drop. I don't remember if he's on there. Is Jermaine Jones? He's a red card. Yeah, I would drop, I would drop him. Yeah, I don't see it. He's a, he's a good possibility to go. Julian Green, I'd be surprised if he goes. I really would, unless unless Jurgen sees something really, really amazing in him. To and I, I, I just can't. At 18 years old, I mean, they, it's been a, it was a big deal when he declared he's going to play for the United States. And I'm glad he's in the preliminary roster. Give him, you know, throw him in there with these guys during training camp and that. But I, I think he's a long shot. I really do. Um, I, you've got guys, you know, you've got Maurice Adu, you've got Deuce in that midfield spot, Michael Bradley, Joe Corona, and other guys 
you need, especially the midfield, you really need the experience there. And I think Julian, Julian Green will be there in 2018. There is no doubt in yeah. my mind assuming he stays healthy. But I think it's a little bit too soon for him right now. Uh, that's on, the, on the defensive side, I was definitely glad to see guys like Matt Beasler and Jeff Cameron, as well as Michael Parker from Columbus, get picked for the squad. Parky, I think, is definitely in. I think all four of them are going. I think all four of them going, and the only one in the back that I have a problem with, and it's just because of what I've been hearing in his injury, is Omar Gonzalez. I don't think Omar's as good as people think he is, and I would I would send him back right away. That, that's why I say some of these other picks, the guys they put in there, uh, you know, John Brooks in particular, as well as Timothy Chandler, guys who play in Germany, makes me think that Jurgen is trying to make sure his tracks are covered in case he thinks Omar is not going to be 100% fit. And I, th- and, and I think that's a smart move because you don't, you don't want to have, think you have to counter Omar Gonzalez in the center of your defense and all of a sudden get there and find out you can't cut it. You know, look, at, well, look at the ball that Gucci at the end will have. Well, well, think of it this this way. You you can move Cameron into the middle. Timothy Chandler's only here because of the right back. You don't want to move another midfielder back there. That's the only reason Chandler's there. I mean, I I have big thoughts. I I don't have any good thoughts about Chandler going in the heat like he had in Honduras. Chandler, Parkhurst, and Cameron are all there for flexibility. See, yes, I, I, think right. Parkhurst is gonna, I think Parkhurst is going to stay no matter what, and I think Beasler's already going to stay, but yeah, I kind of equivalent. Yeah, I, I, think, I think the only... Str- I think Wando's already going to go. I think yeah, Terrence Wando's Boyd already. is the wild... Terrence Boyd and or Josie are the wild card here. Maybe Josie goes into this camp and just sets it afire. Yeah. But I'm I'm kind of worried with him not having good form. Maybe it's because Sunderland is has been horrible. But I, I there is some fat to cut off the squad, but not much. And definitely, you're not sending Landon Donovan back. This is a World Cup here. If yeah, this was I, I like wouldn't bet, I wouldn't bet. I mean, they like I said they talked about it briefly last night because Jurgen was still talking about how. Uh, he's not going to let anybody feel safe, and that's smart when you're when you're a coach when you've got options like this. But it, it would be a, a big surprise if Landon Donovan did not go, uh, unless again, unless something weird happens. Uh, but yeah, yeah, t- that toss up there, Josie Alford, Terrence Boyd, that's going to be interesting. I, th- I think if nothing else, the fact that Altidore is a little more experienced might make the difference. And I think that hopefully Jurgen's going to look at what he did. With the national team, uh, especially when you had guys such as uh, you know Zuzi and Jermaine Jones, who were so terrific during qualifying in providing service up front to guys like Altidore. Altidore was working wonders with those two out of the midfield during the last, especially the last few uh, qualifying games. So that um, that makes me think if if it's unless Boyd has a terrific camp, I don't see him going ahead of Altidore. I really don't. Now, the other question I have before Danielle gets on with, with you, and I don't know when I dropped and all that, if you guys talked about it. Are you – what is your thought with Man United for the year? Well, it's obviously disappointing. I certainly thought, as did a lot of people, that they could at least contend for a top-four finish. 
Um, but um, it, 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 I, again, I've said this before, and others have said this to include Franz Beckenbauer, that Sir Alex saw this coming and knew when to get out. And there's going to be rebuilding that has to be done, and it can be done. I don't think there's any question about that. I'm assuming now, there have been reports already saying Louis Vignal is, is going to get the job. He has said it's not confirmed yet. I think that's what's going to happen. Uh, I, th- I think he'd be a good fit for Manu, but the problem, again, is this is a team that used to do a lot of work in the summer transfer window, and he's not going to be there for all of it. Coaching Holland, you have to think Holland are going to get to at least to the quarterfinals, so this guy, he's not going to be there at all in June, uh, maybe into July, and uh, that's that's the only problem I have with that. See, there are only reports saying, uh, of course, we know about um, the Mangavinich going to Inter Milan. Uh, there are reports out there now today saying Rio Ferdinand has not been offered a new contract and won't. So you've got this whole center of the defense you've got to fix. Uh, you've got uh, midfield uh, midfielders you've got to bring in as well. Uh, and, uh, you know, up front, every time they, you know, there's talk about, you know, you had, had a lot of injury problems with both Wayne Rooney as well as Robin Van Persie, who, of course, is going to love the idea of playing for his national team coach. Uh, there have been a couple names already out there that are being brought in the squad, especially in the, in the back, which is going to help. I think that, you know, the, the defense definitely needs some work. Uh, you know, they need David to have the player of the year. Uh, for Manchester United. I mean, imagine how good he would have been if the defense had been better. And um, the, the, big thing that, the big thing that needs to, to, needs to be worked on is the home form. I mean, they were in the top. Manchester United, I think, were third in points one away from home in the Premier League. Yeah, and I, said, I said this before. You told me at the beginning of the season, hey, I'll take it. Say, thank you, sir. May I have another figure? Hey, guarantee for a top four finish. But that didn't happen because they were so bad at home. And like Chelsea, we saw them dropping points against smaller teams. They should have dropped points against that. Aura of invincibility is gone. And what Mandiola, whoever the manager is going to have to do, is get guys in who can fix that and fix it in a hurry. Because the first month of the season next year is going to be vitally important for Manchester United. If they can return the form quickly, then we're we're still waiting. Uh, we're still waiting on Daniel Grote to call in from um, Women's Soccer Weekly right now. I haven't seen her pop onto the board. But anyway, um, you're listening to the, uh, the Elkhart Podcast on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Stephen Brandt, alongside Keith Kokinda, as usual. Um, are, you, talk, you saw the R- Richard Scudamore emails. I mean, what, what were – I mean, what was, the, what was the issue – I mean, what was the – what were you seeing? What were you seeing that was driving you on this? Well, this is there was um, oh rat! I can't think of his name now. Uh, but he's he's English and he played in the NBA briefly, and he's working with the FA in some capacity. God, I can't remember his name, but but he likened this a little bit to what we're seeing with Donald Sterling. I mean, this is a guy who using. You know, emailing with, within the Premier the FA offices, because he's the, the executive, the chief executive of the Premier League, as well as a member of the FA, using his FA email address, there were, uh, he was making a lot of sexist comments and jokes, uh, which were seen by a, um, somebody working in the office who then sent them on to the Sunday Mirror, 
and um, I won't get into what he said because it's pretty, it's pretty rude and gross and disgusting and whatever we'll lay beyond a planet. But talking about someone who's supposed to be in charge, and out of the Premier League, but he's looking for the FA, which is trying to work very hard to increase the support and the profile of women's football in England. And the simple fact is when you're doing it, like Donald Sterling, when you're making these kind of comments in relationship to how you're running your business or, in this case, your organization, that's wrong. It's 100% unacceptable. You can't be doing that. If he wants to, if he says these things, you know, privately, or he's using his own email address, then the water gets, waters get a little murkier. But he's saying these things directly about, not only about um, his co-workers, in one case he made the joke, he jokingly warned someone uh, about making sure a female colleague, well, didn't get too physically close. I won't use the exact terminology he used, but... When you're doing this running a business or your organization and using an official email, uh, um, an official email account for that, that's wrong. That can't be done. That's simply, that simply is un- unacceptable on any level. And um, there's a lot of people who, you know, a lot of people demanding an investigation in the Fed, how this, he should be forced out of his job, and a lot of people saying it's not going to happen. And it's, and it's, a, it's an issue because the, the group uh, in England, Women in Football, uh, did a survey and said that more than, found more than two-thirds of women working in football have been experiencing discrimination, and here even in 2014. So for you know, somebody who's in a position like him, running the Premier League and being a high-ranking official in the FA, you expect this person to be held to a higher standard and not condone this sort of thing. Instead, he engages it. And uh, this, it, it, it's 100% wrong. He should be out of the office immediately, especially when well, you know, well, I'm going to interrupt you real quick on this yeah, um, sure. for two facts. One, Danielle is online. And two, I want people to go online and look up Anna Louise Adams. She has, she has put up a, she has put up a t- petition. She's on the, she works for the Metro News. She's a Blackburn reporter. I think it's I think it's Anna, Anna Louise Adams. She's also a Blackburn reporter. Please, please go on to Twitter and find her. She's written up a um, petition to get Scooter Moore removed. Anyway, welcome to the show, Danielle. Thank you for having me on. Oh, you're very welcome. Sorry we had to bring up such a sorry sort of subject to start with in your case. We do. It's uh, you know, as a man, and, and there was another blogger who posted this. You know, there. You know, there's a lot, you know, bad, you know, women obviously not going to react very well to this, they shouldn't, but there's a lot of us men who are offended by this sort of thing, too. This, this sort of thing shouldn't be happening, and the point I was trying, I was getting to there in a minute, you look at what happened in other cases recently, look what happened to Richard Keyes and Andy Gray. You know, they were, they were, they weren't even, they were, you know, they were off air, but they were still being recorded, and they started making sexist comments about a, a female assistant referee, and they got booted pretty darn quickly. So wh- why is this? That this, to me, shouldn't be any different. Uh, if anything, it should be handled even more quickly. I said, this man is the chairman of the Premier League and a high-ranking official in the FA. You know, Andy Gray and Richard Keith, they're working for a TV network. You know, if they're going to get the sack within a week, this, this shouldn't even take 24 hours, if you ask me. Did I lose everybody there? No, everybody's on. Danielle? Okay. Yes, I'm here. Okay. 
Sorry, I thought I'd lost you there for a second, Danielle, but... Uh, no, no, yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, so um, I imagine, you know, your take is probably as unfavorable as, as mine is. Um, that if you have anything additional you want to throw out there, feel free to go right ahead. This is a pretty open forum here we have. I wish I, wish I did have something to throw out there. <laughs> I, I my my stance on it is that I I want to know why he's he's still allowed to to be in office. That's yeah, that's what I would exactly. like to know. Yeah, that's what I said. This, this, you've got um, I said with Richard Keys and Andy Gray, and also another one back in uh, 2010, uh, Lord Trifon, who was the chairman of the FA, um, was uh, actually that's the wrong one. In 2004, uh, Mark Palios, who was chief executive of the FA at the time. Uh, was forced to resign after he was trying to cover up an affair with a secretary who was in the FA offices. And I said, I don't think this should be any different to me, but apparently it is, and there's a lot, I said, a lot of people who think this probably isn't going to go very far. Now, on the flip side of that, the good news is um, uh, Clermont Foot in France, they're a uh, Ligue du club and have been for a very long time, hired a new manager. Her name is Helena Costa. Uh, this will be the first time a woman has been appointed to manage a European club at either the second tier or higher. And this, I'm sure, uh, when you saw this story, uh, Danielle, this had to this had to be very uh, inspiring and heartwarming for you to see. Oh, absolutely! I mean, that's that's absolutely fantastic. I wish it would happen more around around the world, and I'm surprised it's taken this long for it to happen, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, and this is a woman uh, who definitely comes with a lot of credentials. She coached youth teams at Benfica. She had been in scouting at Celtic FC, and she had also managed the women's national teams uh, both at Qatar and Iran. So there is no doubting uh, this woman has a uh, truckload of credentials to bring to the job, and um, it'll... It'll be interesting to see what happens. I've been reading about this club, and apparently they've been stuck in mid-second-tier mediocrity for a very long time, not even threatening to go either up or down. And so I'm, uh, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing this. It's something, you, you, like you said, you'd love to see around the world, but especially here in America, we've had you know, with the boom in women's sports over the last you know, 40 or so years, uh, you, we only have one female coach uh, in the NWSL right now. It certainly would be great to see you know, uh, more former players uh, get this kind of an opportunity here in America as well, wouldn't it? Absolutely. I would, that, that would be something that I would absolutely love to see. And, you know, Laura Harvey is currently the only female coach in the NWSL. Last year there were two with Laura Harvey and Cindy Parlo-Cohen, Parlo-Cohen, course resigned her position with Portland at the end of the year for uh, undisclosed reasons but you know her, what Harvey has done in this offseason and even now in the, the first six games of the season it should give you a lot of hope that you know a female manager can succeed at this level and I wish there would be more female managers in the league hopefully moving forward we, we see that well now as far as getting into to coaching what, is there anything that you think that either you know U.S. Soccer or the NWSL could do to get more women interested? I'm not, and I'm not saying not a lot are. I'm sure there are. We, we've seen a couple of uh, people, you know, a couple of women 
uh, managing the, the United States national team as well. But you know, there have to be a lot of people out there who play in college, maybe a little bit professionally or maybe had a chance uh, at breakthroughs with one of the national teams, either the senior or one of you. And can anything be done to get you know, more women going into coaching and maybe moving up uh, into the uh, into the professional ranks as far as the, the the women's season, maybe eventually over on the men's side as well. Maybe just provide them more support. I mean, because even when when I was looking, and this was a little while ago now, that I was looking into possibly getting you know just a basic coaching license, I found it very hard to find information on how to even start. So maybe some support and some better information on where to even start if you want to look into becoming, like, going into coaching would be a good place to start, at least from my perspective, it would be. Yeah, I'm not... That would be I'm, something I would like. Yeah, it, it definitely would help because you definitely... It's, it's something... It, you, there has to be a, a, a big untapped pool out there of women who would certainly uh, be qualified to coach or at least have, at least have enough knowledge from being a player to at least get started on that path because, as you said, you know, the key is you know, getting properly licensed by, by U.S. soccer uh, and or FIFA, and, and especially if you want to get into uh, you know, coaching at levels, let's say, you know, university or, or the uh, professional ranks as well. In terms Absolutely. of, obviously, yeah, I mean, MLS would probably be a ways off but when you look at the lower levels, in particular, maybe like the NPSL, let's say, um, do you think what do you think would be the the atmosphere or the attitude uh, in terms of you know a manager being willing to hire a, a female coach or even a, an assistant coach, or in terms of the uh, the players? Because when you you're getting you've got a generation now. My son's in in, in that group as well. Where especially starting out in youth soccer, you were there at the four, five, you know, like the five through say ten year level. You see boys and girls playing together a lot, and and I would think that would help in terms of attitude. You, do you see possibly in management or players uh, an open an openness or willingness to accept a woman coming in in some kind of coaching capacity, whether it be a head coach or assistant? I would certainly like to think that 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 welcomeness would be there. I mean, when I played soccer as a as a kid, it was it was on a mixed mixed team. It was you know boys and girls, and we we got along you know just fine. Yeah, the boys there were certain things the boys could do that the girls couldn't, but you know that's that that is what it is. But I I I would like to think that we've moved to a point, especially generation wise, where guys would be accepting of a of a female coach, whether it be a head coach or an assistant coach. I would love to yeah, see this maybe in the USL pro level. That would be something. That would be a place yeah. to start. And I, I yeah. as far as I know, that's not happening. Yeah. See, I see you know, the USL pro and the and, and the uh, MPSL are where I see it being a little more likely because you're dealing with younger players, first of all, players and I have not really played a whole lot professionally as well. And that's what intrigues me this in Europe. You know, Europe, as we unfortunately saw with with, with this case with the FA. You've got a little bit of a different mindset in terms of the the, the male attitude there, uh, as as well as well as the female mindset. It's you make a good point. You you think there'd be a little more openness here in America because of the way we've done things, because of the fact that we have spent so much time encouraging 
girls take up uh, sports and play them, especially uh, as a youth. And I think the big difference in soccer, you, you point out about skill sets, with soccer, uh, you obviously, in terms of your physiology and physical capabilities, your strength and speed are two areas where all things be equal. The woman is going to be a little bit behind, but because soccer doesn't necessarily demand, demand you know, raw brute strength or size like so many other sports do, one would think that it would be a little bit easier you know, for a woman coach to be able to reach a male player in terms of, of skills, tactics, anything like that, because the, the, the difference isn't as profound as it would be as you see in other sports. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you've got a coach that has a good tactical plan and a good vision, who cares if it's male or female? You know what? Let them show you what they can do. Let them show the players what they can do. And then, you know, the players just need, need to be open and willing to give that, that coach a chance. And I just, for some strange reason, I don't think, I just don't, I find it very difficult to believe that we don't have as many female coaches in the U.S., especially at, the, at some of the higher levels. But, unfortunately, that's the reality of it. And I, because there's no easy answer to it. I mean, there, there needs to be more female coaches. Because what about those players that maybe know that they're never going to make it at a professional level playing-wise, but they want to go into coaching? Who do they have to look up to? Who do they have to aspire to be like if they know they're never going to be a player? We need to be setting role models not only as players, but also as coaches, I think. Yeah, that's a very good point. Because the old saying, yeah, that's a great point because the old saying, it covers all sports, is that mediocre players make the best coaches. And, and, and while... Soccer can be an exception sometimes. Uh, I think the rule, for the most part, applies. And, and you're right, uh, you, there aren't a lot in terms of role models. That's why, and that's why I think you know, we've seen women who have run the national team, and certainly in terms of tactics uh, that you talk about, we've seen you know, our U.S. women's national team able to play a style of football that, uh, that is very skillful, uh, it demands a lot of one-on-one ability for the most part, and the fact that you have, you know, we have, uh, as opposed to the men, with women, we've got, uh, you know, the women's national team has featured a lot of players who are pretty much you know, in that top tier, that top 10% of women in, country in terms of their athletic ability, something we still don't really have uh, on the men's side. And so I would think from from that aspect, when you've got uh, you, even the top you know, top level women who play for the national team or get to play in NWSL, I think it'd be great to see them get into coaching for the simple fact that you're, you're dealing with you know, the, the women's program has had such a high profile since 1999, and you, you've got a generation of boys and, and young men who have seen this, who have seen what they've achieved, and. This, there would, to me, there would be a respect level there that would be harder to achieve in the other sports because in, in many cases, for, in, for various reasons, the other sports, the way, especially basketball, the women's game in a lot of courts is still seen as inferior, whereas with the women, the women have won world championships. The women have won with the gold medals. The men haven't gotten to that point yet. Exactly. Now, are we are we looking forward? You know, I, I have a theory, Danielle, that one of the 
this generation of the women's team is going to be the next group of coaches. I mean, we've seen Abby Wambach already coached somewhat. With you following the game, do you see anybody in this this set, this women's team set that could be a good coach? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Heather O'Reilly stands out to me as one of the ones that I would love to see go into coaching once her playing career is done. She would just she would be an absolutely fantastic coach. Just her the way she knows the game, the way she understands the game, and just the way she's able to to articulate that, you know, to other to other people and just help her be that driving force on not only for the national team but at club level as well. So I mean that that would be one player that I would really look for look to go into coaching once her her playing career is over. I mean there's there's obviously going to be others. But O'Reilly is the one to me that stands out the most right now. And I'll tell you someone from previous years who I would love to see. I don't know if she is or not. If she is, I hope she succeeds. But I think someone would be a really good coach would be Carla Overbeck. You know, when you watch yeah. that film, the 99ers, you listen to the way the other players talked about her. She was almost an extension of Tony DeChico on the field uh, in terms of, you know, the, especially you know, on that back line. You know, her and uh, – and Christine Lilly as well, but I, Carla Overbeck, you know, she was a captain for a long time. She would be a wonderful coach, and in fact, I'd love to see her uh, not just coach a team, but maybe coach the national team one day. Yeah, she would be she would be welcome in into the coaching ranks for for women at least. I mean, she was such a phenomenal player and such a phenomenal leader on that back line. So I, really I, would love to see, I don't know if she is or not. That's a very good question, but she she is one person that I, I would go very far in my opinion when it came, if it comes to being a coach. Isn't Christine really a coach in Boston? There. I know Isn't she Christine was. Really a coach I'm not in... sure if she still is. That's a mm-hmm. yeah. Because I, I read something with the Curver um, training guys that I, I saw her pop up. I don't know if it was. Just I'm Christine Lilly. I I support this because I it's, it's her and like Mia Hamm. I keep thinking have either got their coaching badges or like are doing something with the sport right now. But maybe, maybe that's wishful thinking because I want I want every player to have the ability, men's and women's, to to go back into the sport and help the next generation because we're we're at it and. Danielle, you can agree with this because you, you write, we're at a really great time for the sport in this country at all oh, levels. And it, we just need to get, like I, I, you said you were looking into getting into just getting the basic coaching badges. I looked in the same, I live in Buffalo, New York. I looked in the same, and it's darn near impossible to find anything unless if you are um, hooked up with a team to get coaching badges because at one time I was going to take I was going to be the reserves coach of a um, of a minor league team here and it's I don't know if it's USSF that doesn't try hard enough or what but there there's enough people out here that have stopped playing my co-host and my co-host is one of them that could go back into coaching and I don't know if the country is trying it that they're just trying. They just want whatever foreigner to come over to take it over. And just for yeah. the record, I just looked up. Car- Carla Overbeck's been an assistant at Duke since 1992. Uh, 
but keep in mind, she's only, she has turned 46. So, you know, she's still got a lot of time left. So I'm hoping that you know, it would be nice to see her parlay that into something bigger uh, at, the, uh, at the professional level in some way, um, with, with NW, you know, whether it be with NWSL or something else. And on that subject, uh, you know, obviously with NWSL, this being the third time around for a uh, professional women's league in this country, my personal, I don't know how you feel about this, personally, I think the way this was set up from a business standpoint was really the best possible option in terms of, in terms of not only finances, but also to be able to keep you know, most of the U.S. national team together uh, and playing here domestically rather than having to go overseas. I think you know, this is beneficial not only for the league, but also in terms of preparations for, uh, for World Cup qualifying, which are going to start later this year. Um, uh, I just want to know how you felt about that. I, I would have to agree. I mean, this is the third third go around at a professional league. I think, from a business standpoint, this has been the most stable. You you had eight teams going into the inaugural year. You have the same eight teams coming back in the second year. Plus, you have you've added an expansion team. That's a good base. That that certainly is is a so far a solid foundation. The big question is going to be what happens during the World Cup year. How is the league going to handle all the national teamers from Canada, the United States, Mexico, even some of the internationals now that play in the NWSL? How are they going to handle that? that that's yeah, still that's... a question. In regards to the U.S. players playing over here, yeah, I think that's, that's great. It, you know, it keeps their compete level up. They're playing against each other. They're getting more familiar with each other. Those, you know, are on the same on team with teammates. You know, there's certain things that, you know, chemistries that will form out of that that you just, you, it's experience that you maybe won't wouldn't get anywhere else unless you're playing with your some of your teammates and against your teammates. And that, that to me, is invaluable experience because it, it helps you understand them better. So I, I think it's so far so good. The questions for me, those regarding the NWSL still remain regarding what they're going to do about the Women's World Cup next year. Yeah, that's that's going to be very very interesting. And and on that subject, another sore spot that's come up with that is the use of the artificial turf that's going to be uh, prevalent for just about all the stadiums in the World Cup next year. Uh, a lot of players have voiced uh, opinions uh, about that subject, uh, not liking the idea, and. Uh, and to me, one of the big issues that I and I've talked about this is the fact that you're dealing with stadiums. Not only is it artificial turf, but it's turf that's made for American or in this case Canadian football. It's not the turf that's made for soccer, which plays a lot closer to real grass. Uh, I, the picture I remember after last year's uh, first uh, weekend of NWSL games with Sydney Larue uh, posting pictures of her legs and the rug burns she had on her legs after the first game. Um, FIFA has clearly shown that their attitude is, hey, this is how we're doing it. And um, you certainly have to think that you know, Canada has aspired to bid for the, I believe it's the 2024 Men's World Cup, and you have to believe that they aren't going to use that turf in that one if they were to get it. Um, 
Atifa has demonstrated, Seth Blatter in particular has demonstrated in the past uh, how he feels while he, out of one side of his mouth, talks about you know, supporting and growing the women's game. He even congratulated Helena Costa on Twitter, uh, but he didn't make any mention of whether or not he expected her to wear, quote, more feminine attire, unquote, which she's meant to Claremont uh, next year. And I apologize for my uh, dripping sarcasm there. But um, as you can tell, I'm, I, I'm not a fan of, of the man, and I, I think the attitude of some of the people in in positions of power towards the women's game is frankly appalling. And I just, I just want to, you know, short of, as as the late Warren Zevon once sang about lawyers, guns, and money, can anybody in any position of power do anything to change this sort, this sort of attitude? Or is it just, or are we dealing with a case of people saying, hey, the women's game just isn't as popular. It's purely business. The money isn't there for this. Because some people have voiced that uh, idea. So, you know, what, what's your take on that? The old boys club. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what it is. The only way things are ever are going to change is when you have someone running FIFA that is more open and perceptive to the women's game and really, truly growing the women's game and not talking out both sides of your mouth like Bladder does. I'm not a fan of the man. I, I'll never, ever be a fan of the man, and I won't pretend to be a fan of him. So. No. And, and what's really surprising in this case is you see you know, the, Europe, the big European countries, their, their associations are all making concerted efforts to make their game better, whether it be you know, you've established a, uh, a Premier League for women in, in, in England. There's a European Cup for women now. Uh, you see you know, Germany has tied a lot of their clubs to the Bundesliga club, this is, and we're seeing the evidence of that in their national team. They're all catching up with the United States in a hurry. It, the fact that, despite what Seth Blatter may say, you know, Europe in the football world still more or less drives the bus, yet with all the things the European Association is doing to really advance the women's game in a positive way, really putting out serious effort and putting the money into it, why, I know it's an old boys that work has a lot to do, but why would anybody be so blind to say, hey, if these people think this is the right way to go, why aren't we, we should be leading the way instead of tagging along behind. It, it, it mystifies me. I really wish I had an answer for that one. I, I really do. The, the, the first few comments I ever remember seeing out of Seth Blatter's mouth regarding the women's game were pretty sexist, so I kind of stopped reading anything he said after that regarding yeah, the women's game. Found, that's why I found it so ironic that he actually went on congratulating Helene Costa. On, on her appointment as the Claremont manager, and knowing what he had said previously, uh, I just I just found that ra- rather hypocritical uh, on his part. Certainly, he he feels like uh, it's something he probably had to do. I kind of tweaked him a little bit on his Twitter, as did a lot of people. Uh, well, a lot of people, and of course, I'm you know, Seth Blatter doesn't care about me one whit, which is which is just as well because I'm sure he didn't notice. But it's it seems to that's that's a you know, with all everything that's going on in Europe, because they're cool, they want to catch up to us, you because know, we set the standard here. You know, obviously under a different kind of structure, uh, clearly, 
But, you know, we set the standard in terms of women's football. Sure, China, too, for that matter. I, I don't want to discount them. But you know, Europe clearly sees this as an opportunity to, to be a positive. The European Association sees it as a positive influence on the women's game. really try to do, uh, to do well as far as women football are concerned. And it's, yeah, I just, I don't understand you know, the attitude there, especially as I said, as I said before, you, the, the European chauvinism from a male perspective still has some, you still have hold sway over there, unlike here in, in America. Now, and I'm not saying, don't get me wrong, I know there's a certain percentage of men in this country who simply don't watch women's sports and will never watch them because they think it's a bunch of ugly, insert your preferred derogatory term for gay women here. Okay, I get that. I'm not saying it doesn't exist in this country. But you know, it's different in Europe. The, the attitudes are different in Europe. And that's why it, it's gratifying to see that, especially a place like Germany with the Bundesliga, so the Bundesliga clubs now see women's teams as well as, well as men. And you talked about the, the new and you talked about the new expansion team in NWSL, Houston Dash, which is being more or less being run by Houston Dynamo. You know, I would, I personally would love to see more MLS clubs do this. Unfortunately, you, the finances really still aren't there yet, uh, to a large extent. Uh, there's some will dispute that, of course, but you, to me, you, we've seen you, the the WNBA have been able to continue for this long, largely because of the, the fact that the NBA is behind it, because of the efforts of David Stern, who made the point to make sure that it was pro- that the teams were properly supported, not just by the NBA team, but also in terms of TV coverage as well. Um, would, it be, would it be an ideal situation for, for, the, for um, a majority, say, of NWSL clubs to be supported by an MLS team, or do you think that maybe you know being independent like this would be a better way to go? Ooh. Are there great perks to being supported by by an MLS club? Absolutely. Yes. You have yes. excellent training facilities, beautiful state of the art grounds, extra money to do you know promotions, and and you have a, a base of season ticket holders already coming from your MLS side. Those are all fantastically great perks. But what about your independents? You know, where do they fit into all of this? I mean, they're yeah. they're just as important to me as an MLS back team. So I think in a perfect world you would have both. I don't think yeah. you I don't think you can have just one or just the other. I think you need a mix of both for this league to be sustainable and survive. Yeah, I, I'm the with o- you there. The I only think. problem in that, guys, is what do you do with the WNY Flash? Where's yeah, the, that, where's those the, are one of the ones I thought of. Yeah, that's her There's point, and she, she, she's, spot, and she's spot on with that. You Ideally, you'd like to see some of these. You'd like to have room for both, ideally. That's the way you want to see it. And... Um, yeah, you know, so, because believe I'd like to see. You know, I, of course, we have Mayor Apostle with Portland uh, uh, and the Thors as well. I don't want to leave them out of the discussion because that's that was obviously first. But you want to see room for both. Because I'd like you know, if somebody has the money and the interest, say, hey, I want to put together a team 
in the NWSL in whatever city where there's no MLSP, great. I want to see that there should be room for that, as as she points out. But having MLS teams get involved would also be very helpful in terms of of growing the league and, and creating some more awareness of the league as well. Absolutely. I, I, in my perfect little world, you have both. You have MLS staff teams, but you also have independent teams. For me, that's the perfect mix. That's yes. how you get growth and stability in markets that maybe don't have an MLS team, but you have a large women's soccer fan base. So those markets still are able to get their team because they're an independent team, and they're not relying on solely on an MLS team to to be able to break into the league. And this is the uh, Yellow Carter podcast here on Blog Talk Radio. He's Stephen Brand. I'm Keith Gokino. We're talking with uh, Danielle Grody from the Women's Soccer Network, WSN247.com. She's one of their primary soccer writers there. Uh, Danielle, we certainly thank you for taking all this time uh, to discuss some of these things uh, regarding the women's game. It's certainly something uh, we appreciate. We're trying to get... uh, did some different angles here. Wanted to get uh, uh, certainly wanted to get a media angle on this. We've had some uh, some players on here uh, recently, uh, Carly Lloyd as well as uh, Samantha uh, uh, Samantha Johnson from Chicago Red Stars have appeared recently, as well as uh, Monica Gonzalez from ESPN. We're hoping to get a few more uh, NWSL players here on in the near future. But uh, the, the media's perspective is important. Uh, especially from a women's perspective, because it's it's you know like like the the, the game like the game you know obviously women in the media are a growing present and obviously you're going to see to, especially someone at, at your age because I'm assuming you're a lot younger than than I am you're seeing things from a different perspective you know, even sort of you know, me I've always been a, a big sports historian. And, you know, giving away my age here, but, you know, I remember when Billy Jean King beat Bobby Riggs, which is really what made, to me, what made women's sports in this country what it is today. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that, I'm not trying to degrade Title IX by any stretch of the imagination, but don't get me wrong, but I, I think that was a more important event from a credibility standpoint. And, you know, an attitude, and I've seen attitudes change a lot in, in the last 40 years, but, if there are, are, are women out there who play sports, whether they be you know, the women in the WNBA or the NWSL, all the way through your know, college, high school, and youth levels, who, who don't know what it was like back then, what the attitude was, how little opportunity there was, how women were for a long time discouraged from doing such things. 1984 was the first time the Olympic Games had a race for women that was longer than 3,000 meters. You, you did, kids in college don't know, don't realize it. They're used to seeing you know, college ba- women's college basketball on TV all the time. They, they don't remember what it was like back then. And while and, you know, some of those attitudes still exist, it's changed a lot. And it's not, not just from a, an athlete standpoint, but from, from a media standpoint as well. And there's there's still some progress to be made, certainly. Uh, you think there's some attitudes certainly can still change uh, in that in that respect. But you know, it's a lot different world, and it's and we're we're glad to have someone on like you 
who you know competed as an athlete previously and now has gone into the media is something that you know in terms, especially in terms of the, the big networks, so it'd be Fox Sports, ESPN, or whatever. A large percentage of the women who are in sports TV, that's the background they came from. You're there, yeah, there's some mixed, you know, like a, like an Aaron Andrews who were journalism majors, but they're in the minority, and it's it, it's to me, you know, it's a you know it's a good trend to see from a media perspective. Cause, you know, when you when you've been when you've been in the arena, you, know, you see things a little bit differently. Uh, you know, certainly, I never played anything beyond uh, in terms of soccer. I played you know, a brief couple weeks in high school. I played you know, mid-level you know, co-ed amateur leagues ever since then. But as much, as much as I played, I feel like my understanding of the game is a little bit different from somebody who maybe didn't play as much and... You know, to see to see someone like you who go go into the media, uh, it, help, it, it not only is good for the media, but it helps women's sports as well. Uh, because again, it's a, it's a different perspective. Uh, obviously, you see things in a way that I, as a man, can't see, and I think this, this to me contributes to uh, you know what we see what we see today in terms of women's sports and, and especially women's soccer. Yeah, I mean, I. I've been involved in sports in one way or another my, my entire life. I come from a very sports-centric house. My my older brother played soccer, which is why I started playing soccer eventually. And, you know, when my when I knew I, I wasn't going to play, when I wasn't going to be able to play anymore, I still stayed involved. And I learned, even in, in high school, actually, I, I learned a different side of the game just by staying connected with the team but not as a player. So I learned to look for different things at different times, and just I've been around soccer all of my life. I mean, it's it's what I know. Whether it be watching the Premier League in 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 England, or you know, watching the MLS Women's National Team, I'm a NWSL here. I the game is what I know. I mean, I I know the game, and I I have such a passion for the game, and I've been very fortunate that I've been able to to translate that on the media side. With with WSN, so I'm I feel very fortunate to be in the position I'm in. Yeah, it's a big change in the media. You talk about your passion for the game. I think you know it's one of the big changes we've seen in the media is that there are a lot more people, both men and women, who played the game at some point in their lives. And you know, and we've talked about this on the show a lot, but where because I remember in the 70s and in the 80s, you had a lot of people in the media who enjoyed bashing the game. They badmouthed it, rip it, saying it was it was communist, it was this, it was that, and the other thing. And really that was a prevalent answer, maybe up until the to me up until the World Cup. And things have changed now. You've got a lot more people who are at least familiar enough with the game that they can they can talk about it, they can write about it, they've got credibility. And those that who are more old school, they understand this, they realize the public's more accepting of it. And so they've turned from bashing into just silence. They just ignore it altogether. And so the the fact that people such as yourself and me who play, uh, you know, who love the game so much go into the media to me has made a big difference in terms of the, in terms of the growth of the game more than you know more than people realize. Like, like I said, people don't you know people who are you know you know, Stephen's age or younger do not remember 
what the game was like back in the 70s, 80s in terms of the media had to upload. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm going to interrupt you on this for a minute. Daniel doesn't really know this, but Keith does. I'm not your typical 35-year-old. I, I, I kind oh, of grew okay. up with I, a... Uh, I, I said your age. I didn't mean you in particular. I meant people in your yeah. age. Well, I do, Danielle, want to thank you for being on. Where can we, where can we catch you? Twitter online, where where can our where can our fans follow you so we can get you more reads and more views? Um, on Twitter, my handle is uh, at D Grote. That's G R O T E, the number fifteen. Um, you can also read my article, any anything I have posted on um, WSN twenty four seven dot com, and that twenty four seven is numerical; it's not spelled out. <laughs> Smart. Anyway, I want to thank you for coming on and and dealing with us over the past weekend. Um, that's Daniel Grove from Women's Soccer 24-7. And we got the last 15 minutes of the show. It looks like TJ and Ryan f- forgot what the time difference is between the, mi- between the Midwest and the East. But <laughs> Matt Hoffman out in the O.C., can figure it out. <laughs> I also got to point this out. Matt's in his 40s, so he knows time difference. And Well, well speaking of Ryan, actually, well, we got yeah. well, we to give Ryan a shout-out, whether he calls it or not. Ryan and Ashley are expecting his son, so we definitely uh, want to congratulate them. Uh, so best wishes to both of them, especially uh, Ashley, uh, as they await this uh, wonderful time in their life. We certainly are very happy for you, uh, Ryan and Ashley. Best wishes to both of you. You're going to love this, I promise. Uh, so definitely, I wanted to make sure I got that on, even though even if he's not here. I want to congratulate him, obviously, here on the, on the show. But uh, if he's not going to be there, we definitely wanted to get the shout-out just in case. And then, as Ryan has said many times when he's talked about it, he's not raising his son as a Man United or a Liverpool fan. He's going to be even worse. He's going to raise him as a Newcastle fan. So I, I do feel sorry. I do feel see, sorry. I, I, I'm don't just... see that as, I don't see that as a bad thing, although there was a story I saw uh, about that. Uh, if I could just get a second to uh, bring that up. Uh, there was one thing I saw about uh, Newcastle and Allen Pardew, and I know a lot of people aren't going to like yeah. this. Uh, let me bring the other that thing, the other apparently, thing he's, apparently he's staying, number one. According to the Guardian, um, they're not uh, – he's going to stay. And um, also um, that uh, – let's see. The, the, the owner of the club, uh, Mike Ashley, said they wanted to finish top ten, which they did, uh, although uh, about 7,000 people walked out during the – last home game, um, but they apparently are going to try to make some noise in the transfer market in particular uh, with English players, because they got a lot of French players on the team right now, and uh, uh, Jean-Joe Shelby, uh, Fabian Delp, and Jack Colback are all apparently uh, targets of uh, Alan Pardew for Newcastle, so that'll be, uh, that'll be interesting to see to, uh, to change to try to change things up there um, with bringing some English players uh, to go along with all the French players that they have. But uh, as I know there's a lot of Newcastle supporters out there not really 
happy with the idea of Alan Pardew staying, but apparently, according to the Guardian, he is. Which which would be which would be interesting. Um, coming up next week, we have actually someone I well, I found on Twitter last week as I'm talking on the show. If if you see if you see the Yellow Carded Podcast Twitter handle get suddenly active during the show, I, I'm. I'm the one that's tweeting on it. And I think I think now I'm going to institute so people can figure out because Keith and I both have the login and password for it. I'm going to start and sign it with my initials so people can figure out the sarcasm because we're both actually quite funny people. Um, Tanya Keith of um, Passionate Soccer Love is going to come on. She's an author that is re- releasing a book about her ventures in American soccer coming from when she was uh, traveling across across actually your state, Keith, and her car breaking down and trying to get to see her then-boyfriend, now-husband, Mark, talking about um, following soccer and becoming a bigger fan. We're going to have her on next weekend. Yeah. Um, Ross yeah. Goldman's and it's a really fascinating – yeah, it's a fascinating story because she did not come to love the game in the conventional route. It's really – it's really. I'll let her tell it, but we're definitely looking forward to having – her on as well. I want to jump in real quick though with this. Uh, there have been talk for quite a while about Randy Lerner selling Aston Villa. Uh, apparently that that is now official. The club is officially up for sale. Graham Taylor, former Aston Villa manager, said, told a BBC radio station he thinks that the club has already been sold. Uh, his statement was that uh, from what he, his source tells him, now again, Grant Taylor's not a reporter by interest but Taylor says he has a source who told him that the club would be sold assuming they stayed in the Premier League, which they did. So, um, now, it's, I take that one for a grain of salt, but the club is officially up for sale. So a couple of interesting names came up. One was Robert Kraft. And I found that interesting for the simple fact that, you know, he's had... He's looked into this previously, as Russ Goldman uh, will tell you. You can follow him on Cottage Talk, this Fulham podcast as well. But Kraft had looked into it at one point. In fact, he was even uh, talked about as possibly buying uh, Aston Villa back in 2004. But one of the things he said was he didn't like the idea, the fact that they didn't have the similar financial structure with a salary cap and things like that as they do with the National Football League, where, of course, he owns the New England Patriots. Whether now if he's changed his tune on that, I'd be really, really surprised. Uh, but uh, you know, we've seen what he's done or hasn't done with the regular revolution. I'm kind of skeptical about that. Another name that came up that I think I find very interesting is Larry Ellison, uh, fifth richest man in the world. He's the CEO of Oracle, uh, and Ooh. he's big in the America's Cup sailing world. Uh, see, they won it, uh, his, his team won, in 20, won the America's Cup in 2010. Um, he was, according uh, to reports, when Villa beat Hull City here at the end of the season, he was spotted at the game. That, whether or not that, this is according to uh, the Birmingham Mail uh, in Birmingham, England. Their website has a story on prospective Aston Villa owners. Um, Another name that can this is somebody I had not heard his name, but I should have, Ray Davis. He's co-owner of the Texas Rangers. And uh, they bought the team back in 2010. And because the Rangers have been very successful since. They've been to the World Series in two uh, back-to-back years. Uh, 
And plus, Aston Villa are going to be playing both FC Dallas and Houston Dynamo in July. So that's around it. So does, does, the EPL, does, it, does the EPL want another former – does the EPL want another uh, Texas Rangers owner to own a team after what, what they did to Liverpool? Well, I'm you not sure about that you, one. You, you forget yeah. Hicks and Gillette owned Liverpool, and one of them yeah. owned right owned top. top they darn near, they darn near got Liverpool relegated with well yeah, not relegated yeah. put them into administration with what they had. Now these are probably right, two totally the, different people. Right, but you've got a guy here again. This since they bought the team, since he bought the team. They've had they've been very successful. I think that's the big difference. I think that's I think they're going to I think the people in the Premier League will see this more in the vein of John Henry. John Henry, runner of John Henry, the Red Sox have won three World Series in ten years. I think they're going. I don't think they're going to. They, at least they shouldn't look at it in the vein of, of those of, of Gillette uh, in terms of his ownership. I mean, you're, you're dealing with a guy who clearly knows how to run a team and has proven that here with the Texas Rangers are the one name that is going to raise a lot of hackles with a lot of people uh, is Dietrich Mateschitz, the Austrian, who, of course, the co-founder of Red Bull, owns the teams here as well as in Austria and in Brazil. But the big thing here with him is that when he buys a team, the name gets changed. And what we've seen... We've seen the FA in the Premier League already turn down Hull City when their owner wanted to change the name to Hull Tigers. I can't see them approving a corporate. If they turn that down, I can't see them approving a corporate name change like this. Um, and so that's one. And I imagine his, his going in to say, hey, if I buy the club, I'm changing the name. And that's it. If, if I can't do that, then I'm not in. That's the way I. That's just my own personal reading of the, the, the FA. The FA let the Leeds guy come in, and he's damn near a criminal and out in Italy. So I mean, the, the, the FA. The FA doesn't yeah, exactly but have the well, well, but I'm, I'm just saying he's going to come in. He's going to want to change the name of the club to Red Bull in some fashion or another. He's done it three times already. And again, if the FA turned down Hull City becoming Hull Tigers, which has nothing to do with any corporation at all, it's just in case the guy, the owner thinks it's better marketing. I can't fathom them saying yes to this. I really can't. And I really think Well, that, I, I'm not disagreeing he, with you on I'm not disagreeing yeah. with you on that part. I'm just saying the FAA yeah, has got a lot well, FAA's got a lot to live up to and and I, I'm not gonna I, I I'm trying not to pull this part again, but the FA's also got to speak with Aston Villa, it's, it's got to go to the got to go to the crown on this one because that's a, that's the English crown's team right there. They don't. I know they don't have any fingers in it, which surprises me. I'm not trying to get political on this because you know where I'm going. But if you have the team, if you because it's been shown in other countries that if you do anything to the British the crown's team, things bad happen, and I'm not. I'm not getting technical on this. I, I, I want, I'm of the aspect that I want the classic teams like the Aston Villas, the um, Derby, the Nottingham Forest, the Leeds, to come up and be good again. 
there are teams that are down there that are sleeping giants that if they actually get money after them could be really good. And not, we're probably not far off from seeing Darby come back into the into the league again. And we have Leicester coming back up. I would hope that whoever buys Aston Villa tries because no, they haven't been good in years. And there's generations now that do, that the Birmingham team that they know of is Birmingham City, and they're falling down. They're falling down the leagues pretty fast. They're almost going to be. They're almost going to be Portsmouth in a year if you think about it. Yeah. Yeah, and this which, is which where. Is, which is, Sorry, if you want, and I'm not going to get into the financial fair play thing. Go read Cardiff Christianaire if you want to, because he. But the one thing he articulated in the writings he's been doing is that the flaw in that is that. In terms of spending, what it does is, it, what it, from what I'm reading, I could be wrong, but basically from what I've read, it seems to be like teams that spend money that they actually have are being punished, but teams that spend money that they have to borrow are not. And that seems to be the big flaw. Again, Carter Krish there uh, can tell you a lot more about it. Go we'll find him uh, either on Twitter or Facebook and read what he has to say on that subject. The other person? We're wrapping up real quick. We got 90 seconds left. The other person to listen to is go, go put a buck in the ear of Charlie Stilatano. He made a rant on this on the, on the um, on his show a couple or a couple days ago about if if you have a budget, a 200 million dollar budget, that's all you can spend. You're kind of cooked if you go above and beyond that. And it's it's keeping it's, it hasn't changed anything in soccer, which is kind of sad. Because I would love, I would love to see a team come up and do good. We're, we've got 30 seconds left in the show. I want to thank Keith Kokinda, Matt Hoffman of the Substitutes, Daniel Grote of Everything Women's Soccer, and everybody that's going on. Next week, next week is a Stephen Brand show, and then in two weeks, it's Keith Kokinda not flying solo, but flying without Stephen for for the week. So I will talk to you guys in a week. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. You know you Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.